Design New Podcast, Episode 13. To celebrate the success of the first 10 Design New Podcast episodes, I have released the Lessons from the Drawing Board ebook, where I share with you the wisdom, the passion, the insights, and the themes captured by our first 10 inspiring guests. To download your copy, pop over to tinamurray.com and be inspired to live your best life. Are you ready to create the life you really want? Welcome to the Design You Podcast, where I talk to everyday people who know life can be done differently with a clear mindset, positive attitude, openness to growth, and their willingness to take life to the next level. Get ready to design you. Hi guys, Tina Murray here. Today I'm welcoming to the drawing board Adam Ashton. Adam felt he was on track to study hard, get good grades, get a good job, keep your head down. I think you know the drill. But he soon realized that this wasn't his personal definition of success. Now age 24, Adam has started a number of small businesses, has published a book, and reads and shares the biggest learnings of the book he reads each week on his podcast, What You Will Learn. Join me as I chat with Adam about having a crack. Hey, Adam, thank you so much for joining me on the Design New Podcast. How are you today? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, good. I'm glad you're looking forward to it. Tell me, what are you doing right now to design your best life? So for me, I think it's it's all about taking a swing, having a crack, getting out there and trying different things. So I guess the main things I'm doing at the moment, I wrote a book back in uh, March. I self-published that. Uh, so about six, uh, eight months ago mm-hmm. and a weekly podcast with uh, with my co-host, Adam Jones, called What You Will Learn. We read a book each week and uh, talk about that, interview authors. So yeah, the book, the podcast will probably be a second book at some stage coming up Ooh. soon, I'd suggest. Okay. And, so yeah. you like the writing? I do. I do. I feel like just having that physical, I can, uh, there, it's like a representation of uh, tens or hundreds of hours of work sitting there, um, all coming together as one nice little package. But you're a young guy. How can you have all that work behind you already? What have you been yeah. doing? <laughs> no. So, so this, the book I did, uh, it's called MHS Entrepreneurs. Uh, uh, MHS is uh, Melbourne High School. So I went to Melbourne High okay. School uh, and it's a it's a school, I guess, that uh, is high achieving in the sense that you have to do a test to get in uh, mm-hmm. and high achieving in the sense that I guess a lot of smart kids who then do the, the traditional path to success of get really good grades, go to a really good university, again, get really good grades, work really hard and then start at the bottom somewhere and slowly work your way up mm-hmm. uh, in that traditional career of lawyer, engineer, doctor, something like that. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a few black sheep, I guess, that have gone rogue and uh, ventured into the world of business and entrepreneurship. And they're not as uh, highlighted as much as they should be. It's definitely getting there, I guess, yeah, around the world. There's people are starting to realize that there's a, a different path than just school, work, retire. Yes. And uh, yeah, so I wanted to pick out a few of those guys and get all their stories, put them all together. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, how, that's what it ended up. So these entrepreneurs who are successful, what sort of age are they? Are they, they around your age or are they older? Or what's the? Uh, there was a range. So the the oldest was I think finished high school in 1955. Wow! So just turned 80, 81, I think. I think he's a, just announced as the seventh or ninth richest in Australia, Lindsay Fox uh, mm-hmm. Trucking Transport Company. Yep. So that's the oldest, and had down to guys in their twenties as well. So I tried to get a fair range. So it was pretty representative saying it's you're never too young you're never too old just get out there and have a crack 
Yeah, nice. Was there a theme that came through with all of them that you could see was a similarity that they had? Is there something about them that they do? No, definitely the biggest part was just a realisation that the the sort of the traditional path I mentioned before of just, you know, starting at the bottom, working really hard and slowly making your way up just wasn't, but it didn't sound any good whatsoever to them. And they thought they need to go out and do something of their own, make something, build something, whatever that was, uh, where they had a lot more control, I guess. That was the biggest thing, yeah. Wow. So it was the need to have some control, although I have to admit when you're starting a business, there may not always feel like you have control there. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I think one, one story I really liked was it was Lindsay, Lindsay Fox, so one of the older guys, a $3, 4000000000 billion net worth with a big multi-multi-billion dollar trucking transport company. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, how did how do people get out there and learn these, you know, these skills of, of business and entrepreneurship and how can they learn to do things like that? And I guess to, to set the scene, I'm a 24-year-old dude. I think I was 22, 23 at the time. I went into his office, which is uh, like his, I think his, like his office was literally bigger than my house. <laughs> and he had, he had just like walls and walls and walls of books and like he had a whole wall of like photos with the people he'd met, like two popes. Uh, a couple of queens, uh, a few prime ministers, and like all these people that he just had over to his place for dinner. Mm-hmm. And so this is a, this is probably two, three minutes into the interview, and I I thought I'd come out with my second question of how can young people learn, I guess, skills of of entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I was still nervous. I was still finding my feet, and he looked me straight in the eye and said, "Adam, are you a virgin?" What? <laughs> and, and I thought, what the hell? Where is this? <laughs> anyway, so I was I was hesitant. I, I was trying to work out where is this going. I had no idea. And he, he I, I said, "No, I'm not." And so he said, "Well, the first time you got yourself, you know, romantically involved, <laughs> did you read the Kama Sutra, or did you just sort of jump in, fondle your way around, start trying things, and see what worked best?" Mm. And uh, he said, "That's that's the obvious answer. One one way is to go out there." read a lot of books and ask a lot of people uh, and see what they think. One way is to just jump in there, start trying things. It will soon become pretty obvious what feels good, what doesn't. Obviously, mm-hmm. you do more of what feels good, <laughs> do less of what's not working and work it out as you go. And so, that, that, was, that was his story. I like it. That's really good advice. But how do we find out what feels good for us? I mean, sex aside. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> What what do you think it is that we can we can tap into to find that for ourselves? Because it's different for everybody, obviously. Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing, which I'll probably keep coming back to, is just getting out there, taking a swing, and it's something that I think is probably forming the theme of book number two. Is that even though I've got no interest whatsoever in baseball, I like the analogy of step up to the plate and take a swing. Sometimes you might hit it for a single. You know, you get to the first base, you might have a foul ball, you might strike out. It might not go well whatsoever. But mm-hmm. if you keep stepping up to the plate and keep trying different things, eventually you're gonna uh you know, eventually you're gonna hit that home run. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh by trying more and more different things, you'll quickly work out which ones are you striking out at, which ones mm-hmm. are working just okay and which ones are the home runs. Yeah, and even you know, even the best batter is gonna also be struck out. And that happens mm-hmm. in business. We, we're yeah. not going to be successful all the time. The, the guys who risk the most are the ones who often end up, you know, absolutely is yeah. it run out. I don't know. I don't know. My <laughs> exactly. And I think that's, I think that's it. I think that every time uh, you do get struck out, you just got to step up to the plate and try once more. Mm, yeah. 
Every time you fall off the horse, you got to just get back on one more time. Did the guys you spoke to speak about when they'd fallen off the horse? Do you were using oh, a lot of um? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, we're, throwing, we're trying to mix a whole bunch of different things together. <laughs> yeah, well, one guy, uh, his name was uh, Chris Edwards, and he's currently got a successful uh, suit bespoke suit tailor service in the city. So you, you head in, you get measured up. Uh, it's a really nice uh, place. They go away and make it for you, I guess, and you come back six weeks later and get it all touched up and make sure it fits perfectly. But that's the success at the moment. But he certainly talked about all the failures before that. So some of the ones he had, the first thing I think he tried, he was in university and he was going to, he was studying commerce and he was sort of going down the accounting track. He sort of worked at account as a summer internship for a couple of months and really disliked it. So the first thing he tried was giving talks to high school students uh, about the jump from high school to university. Okay. And so it was like, obviously, there's all these different things. There's a different type of learning, very self-directed. You know, no one's going to look after you. You've got to go out there and sort of do this all on your own. There's social challenges. There's academic challenges, all this, all this sort of stuff. And they did it a couple of times. I think they did four or five sessions uh, and it was working pretty well, but they sort of realized that it's pretty hard to get a foot in the door. Schools are very protective of who comes in and what they say. And eventually they realize that, that that's probably not, uh, not the way to go. So the next thing they tried was a dog tracking thing where essentially they're trying to build a thing where uh, this was in sort of 2007, 2008, I think. And so before a lot of technology and Google Maps and stuff, I guess, where you know, they tried to strap things to dogs and if the dog ran away that you could find them. So I'm sure there's apps out there now, but at the time, essentially, the, the battery life wasn't good enough. They had a few prototypes. They went to a few dog fairs and stuff and tried it out, but it just wasn't working. So it was a big failure. The next failure, I guess, was he went over to India and uh, he was trying to sell bed bug product. There were little cups you put on the bottom of the bed. So if the bed bugs... Got, they got stuck on the cup of the bed rather than climbing their way up the, the leg into the bed or something like that. Okay. Um, and so they were trying to sell it. They went to a few hotels, but there was something wrong with it. The dust in the air and the sticky bit lost the stickiness. Um, and so, so pretty much, uh, pretty much useless again. But so he's had those three cracks. One worked all right. One did not work at all. And the other one also did not work at all. So he sort of, you know, he's hit one single and a couple of strikeouts. But whilst he was over in India, he got a suit made. So he went out to this dude. This dude measured him up. It was really cool service. The guy was funny. I think he had a, a scotch while he was there or something. Nice. Bit of fun. He went back a couple of days later, got his suit. He said it looked awful. It was cheap and tacky. But just the whole experience was fun. And that's where he thought, okay, what if I could bring this experience back to Australia? We do the exact same thing, but actually make it good. And that's sort of where this idea blossomed of the suit uh, Oscar Hunt that he's got at the moment. So okay. whilst the, he had those three failures, in the middle of those failures was where he found his eventual success. Okay. Well, there's, uh, there's a few parts to that story because, yes, you do keep on stepping up again as you talk about. But on top mm. of it, I love the fact that he was always open to new experiences and new ideas. So he's really showing that he's got an open mind. And then even the fact that at the end when he was in India and he realised it was the experience because in life that's what positive things are about. They're about the experience. One of the things I often ask people is what they want 
their life to be like in 50 years. And it's very rarely that people give me a money figure or anything like that. It's about the memories they're building, the people around them, which are all about experiences rather than than the mm, stuff. So true. Yeah. So and true. So anyone who can build a business which around how people feel is onto if they hit it right, they're onto the best thing. Yeah, exactly. I like it. I'm sure yeah. not many of those people say, um, I want to be working sixty hours a week in my in my office in the corner. No. No, but at least if I go out and get a really good suit, I can have a nice scotch yeah. and have a good experience <laughs> with it. Exactly. <laughs> Makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you've obviously been one of these rebellious guys going against the the suits, as you're saying, at, at Melbourne High School. So um, why is that, do you think? For me, it was just honestly really not knowing what I wanted to do. So I was in this or not a cult, almost cult-like of all these guys who were doing really, really well, you know, maths and science and everyone wanted to get into medicine and everyone wanted to score as high as they could. And I did score really, really high. I literally missed. So there was a couple of ways to get into medicine. I missed out by literally one question. Wow. Um, and in hindsight, that was probably the best best thing ever. But I thought, okay, I'd maybe not medicine, but maybe I'll do physio. It's sort of like medicine, but it's a lot of sport involved and I like sport. Man, I was way off the mark there. Very little like sport in physio. Um, there's a lot more, you know, hospital and rehabilitation yeah. stuff and respiratory stuff, which I didn't even uh, know about. So anyway, I, I went to physio. I lasted one semester and uh, dropped out of that. I went to deal poker at Crown Casino for a little while, which was actually good fun, but certainly not a long-term plan. And it was really just this not knowing what I wanted to do. And I went to a few... Uh, like business seminars, started reading lots of books and I think just getting that taste of there's actually something else out there. And whilst uh, I was studying university in the background, I was always having a crack at trying a few different things on my own and I found that I was getting a lot more satisfaction out of doing something that I'd literally start from scratch and see it through to fruition and see some kind of result that I'd built myself Mm. rather than, um, than, I don't know, working for somebody else and thinking, I'll do what they want me to do and keep my head down and do the bare minimum and eventually maybe take a step up when yeah. someone else leaves. And so that driver to to succeed, because you're saying from what I'm understanding is that as you achieve something, that's what that's when you're like, yeah, cool, I did it on my mm. own. I've really achieved that. You might have had some support on the way, but it's that sense of self-fulfillment is what seems to be a big driver for you. And when you're moving towards that or when things are going wrong through through that, is that what keeps you going, that end goal? I'd say definitely. So I think the first, I tried a few things in early on that pretty much not worth talking about because they're just uh, <laughs> abysmal failures, but I didn't really have a, a proper crack at it. But I guess the first proper business I'd call it that I was doing was high school maths lecturing. So I started my first job, I guess, was tutoring maths. It was when I was in year 10, I was tutoring year sevens and eights. And then when I got to year 12, I was tutoring year nines and tens. And then eventually when I finished school, I was tutoring year 11s and 12s. And I sort of thought if I'm going to tutor one kid for 30 bucks an hour for one hour, and I'm going to tutor six people the exact same thing uh, one after the other, why don't I just do six people at a time and do it for two hours. So they get twice as much mm-hmm. and I get six times or I get three times as much yeah. money for per work. So I sort of thought maybe that's the way I should be going rather than just this one-on-one stuff, try and do group stuff. Um, and my first lecture, which I put in uh, air quotes, was two people. 
So I don't know if you can quite call that a lecture, but <laughs> then the sort of the next school holidays was five people. The next school holidays was seven, and then it was sixteen. And eventually, like the the biggest one I got to was about one hundred and eighty kids uh, wow. in a lecture theater where I just did a bit of Facebook advertising. Got a whole bunch of kids came in on a Saturday morning in December, so school had finished, and that was sort of on their summer holidays. But thought they'd rather come along to my Saturday morning maths lecture. Really. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. What are you so doing? Was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, I don't know. It must have been some exciting maths. <laughs> <laughs> must have been a really good Facebook ad to get yeah. <laughs> sort of and for maths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, definitely, I guess, I think, I, I don't know if that's answer your question at all, but there was just always that, that sense that there was always nervousness of, you know, I've got these people booked, but is anyone going to show up? And it was a big comfort challenge to get out in front of, tens or, uh, you know, eventually hundreds of kids to talk maths and try and get these kids on side who think, uh, you know, maths. But so I guess they, they come and they think, you know, maths isn't that cool. We've had all these lame maths teachers. So they're not really engaged at the start and to mm-hmm. have to try and win them over. Uh, there was always that challenge there. And, and also the challenge of is anyone going to show up? Yeah. But if, I know you're an avid reader and you read a book a week. Have you read the book Promise of a Pencil? Uh, no. Is that, uh, yeah, I know the book you're talking about. I've heard him interview, but I haven't read it, no. Yeah, because you're reminding me of the very first time that he decided to get out and start to speak about his philanthropy and how he wanted to be able to educate these kids by giving them a pencil to start with, which has ended up being a whole mass of schools, which is brilliant. Part of what he talked about is the first time he went to uh, interview, uh, sorry, to create an environment where he could lecture to people, he did it at a uni. And he was expecting hordes of people to come. In the end, only one person turned up. But he got up on stage and he thought, I am going to talk to her like I would talk to this auditorium being completely full. Nice. And he did. And she's ended up being the person who started spreading the word throughout the universities and so he then had more and more people come. But if he hadn't done that, if he'd done it quite differently, he's saying it wouldn't have been that. Like she really bought into it and he really just owned it and went, I'm just going to give this person exactly what I would have given if this auditorium would be full. And so I think there was a real lesson in that about you just got to give it your all and not worry about the numbers. And you never know where the message might fall and what the repercussions of that are. That's fantastic. That's certainly one to add add to the it's a very, very long to read list, but it's certainly <laughs> I'll have to add that one to the list for sure. So how do you choose what you're gonna read? Because you read a book away. Yeah, well I guess I've got I've got two bookshelves, one behind me, uh, another one over there, and there's six shelves on each. So there's about 12 shelves worth of books. And I've read three of those shelves at the moment. So there's heaps and heaps of books sitting here and I feel like every month I'm buying more new ones to add <laughs> add to the unread list, which it seems to be growing a lot quicker than the red list. But um, I think it is, uh, it's definitely just what, what we're sort of up to at that point in time. So I guess, you know, sometimes we read recently a book by Brene Brown called Daring Greatly mm-hmm. uh, about stepping into the arena and just, and again, just sort of uh, having a crack. And I think at that time we were a bit of a flat spot where maybe downloads were down a bit and we thought we need a bit of a pick-me-up of a, a sort of an inspirational get out there and have a crack sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Or we read something like uh, recently Chip and Dan Heath wrote a book called Switch, How to Change When Change is Hard. And so it's 
uh, at that time when we needed to make a change or say my uh, co-host Adam was speaking at a wedding and he thought let's do for a couple of weeks we'll do a couple of public speaking books mm-hmm. uh, and so things like that or if we're in a business sort of mood go to business or if we I don't know some report on the TV about the world's going to end so we read a couple of science books about climate change or something like that so pretty much I guess whatever we're interested in at the time is it a small element of what do we think the listeners want to listen to mm-hmm. um, but there's also uh, I think probably a bigger element of what do we want to read and talk about that we're going to be super excited about mm. because that's probably makes for a better listening experience than if we feel we sh- have to read it rather than want to read it. Absolutely. And it's the same with everything in our life. We, we pick up when people are, are in the flow or doing what they love. They, yeah. they emanate a completely different energy and it comes across in your voice even, not just just um, looking at yeah. someone too. Yeah. No, exactly, yeah. And so tell me what else it is that keeps you pumped throughout life. So you, you're reading, you've got your podcast, you're writing mm. small books on the on the way, they're, they're yeah, germinating. Yeah, definitely on the way. Yeah, yeah, certainly the, the reading of the podcast. We've got a nice taste of at the start it was uh we thought maybe we should do a podcast we're really enjoying listening to podcasts mm. we both were sort of meeting we literally met so me and my co-host adam we were both working at a pub but his last my first day was his last day and he went overseas for a year and then when he came back his first day back was my last day because oh. I, I was sick of it so we literally, we didn't really meet but then we just met at uni we we're both reading a book one day and uh, yeah, it was love at first sight uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, one book lover recognizing another. And we just sort of met once every couple of weeks. We both started working in the city and we just met for breakfast once every couple of weeks and talked about the books we were reading. And then nice. we thought maybe we should um, make this into a podcast. And literally at the start, it was, you know, well, maybe let's try and do 10 episodes just to get started and see what happens. And it was literally three listeners. So I'd listen to it. He would listen to it. And I think my mom probably listened to it as well. Um, so we started from three. And then I think after 10 episodes, I don't know, maybe there was five or six. And we thought, I don't know, maybe let's keep going. The worst case is sort of like we read a book each week. So the worst thing is we're learning so much. We're reading probably faster. We're reading more. We're retaining a hell of a lot more because we have to then talk about it, not just read it and forget about it. Sure. So that was sort of the worst case, but now we've got a bit of a taste of a little bit of audience, a little bit of growth, and that's sort of driving us to keep going. And where we've interviewed some awesome authors, we sort of couldn't crack uh, them at the start, but now we've got a couple of big ones, and that sort of leads to other big ones. Sure. Um, and yeah, that's definitely really exciting at the moment, and who knows where that goes next. Yeah. Have you got an idea about where you want it to go, or you're just going with the flow at the moment? Uh, I think it would be sweet if we were able to somehow turn that into a full-time thing where I think if we could do more than essentially at the moment, it's literally just our 20-minute review and maybe a half-hour interview with the author maybe every two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. But I think if we could offer more, whether it's a, a structured five- or ten-page book summary or maybe it's some shorter videos, some longer stuff, some workbooks, maybe a whole bunch, you know, ten books for executives or 10 books for entrepreneurs or something we get the best 10 stuff and put them all together and and we're able to just read and write all the time i think that'd be pretty sweet that'd be a pretty sweet life that we could design yeah nice yeah because that's what it's about it's about connecting with what you love and as you said it sounds like learning's a big driver for you as well that you do want to keep on learning and growing and so you can step even further up to the plate and do you find that many people are reading or 
definitely no. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people want to breed and I think we don't really know, but I think that there's probably a lot of people thinking they see all the books that we've read. They see Start With Why. They see a bit of Seth Godin. They see Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. They see How to Win Friends and Influence People. They see The Effective Executive, 4-Hour Workweek, and they think, uh, yeah, I want to read that book. And maybe if they don't have the time to read 10 or 15 hours for a book, but they can mm-hmm. listen to a 15-minute little summary, it's either a little taste for them and they can sort of get uh, you know, 80% of the knowledge or 80% of the feeling of having read the book without actually having to read it. Or maybe they listen and think, maybe if I listen to 10 episodes, I'll pick one book out of those 10 and listen to, listen to the, the best, read the best book out of that. So I think the answer is uh, no, there's probably not people not reading a book a week, mm-hmm. um, but hopefully there's people who are maybe reading a book a month. Yeah. Yeah, so when um, when you're thinking about what it is that you want to do next with your life, what are you looking at? So you're looking, learning, we've said, is important to you, having that mm-hmm. sense of self-fulfillment and achievement. What else is in it for you? Yeah, definitely, as well as the learning, also then the teaching of being able to read a 300-page book and pick out the best 20% that you can forget about the other 80%, but this 20% is the best 20% to get you sort of 80% worth of the book. So on one hand, learning for myself, but then also the teaching mm-hmm. aspect of then sharing that info so people can save time, make it a bit quicker, make it a bit easier and get the best stuff. So as well as that learning, also the, the teaching aspect mm. of it as well. Yeah, so that's a part of giving back too. Mm. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's sort of the... I think that's sort of the step that we're in at the moment, I think, and which I would encourage everyone to do is I think it starts with with consumption and learning. And the end goal, I think, should be production and teaching and giving. And I think we're probably in the, the middle stage where we're curating. So we're taking all the things and learning for ourselves what, you know, the, these top 100 authors have learned throughout their life and are teaching people. And we're sort of the, the middleman of curating the best content of that and then Eventually, it's probably us moving towards producing our own stuff of making these books, maybe taking a swing, uh, <laughs> stepping up to the plate. Maybe that's the first one. Uh, and uh, there's, there's plenty of other ideas uh, floating around as well. Yeah, nice. How do you find for um, younger people? I did a, a talk uh, quite a while ago and it was about fear. Um, I had a guest speaker in at one of my events and we were talking about how to overcome fear. And I had a lot of people in their late 40s and 50s there, but I had a lot of people in their early 20s. It was sort of two extremes. And one thing that was really clear is that a lot of the guys in their early 20s were actually quite fearful about a lot of things moving forward in their life. Now, I know you're not the spokesperson for every 24-year-old, but do you Mm. see that there is quite a bit of fear around people and that need to step up and where do I step up and how do I step up? I think there's... A, a spot where I think before you know too much is probably a good state of blissful ignorance of <laughs> if you think that, you know, the, the traditional system is go to school for 15 years, go to uni for five years, work really hard for 50 years and then retire. And I think if that's all you know, then you can be blissfully ignorant and maybe people aren't as scared because they know what the next 50 years or 70 years looks like. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm, maybe maybe sometimes I think it's better if I didn't know any of this stuff. But once you read it, <laughs> A book like uh, I don't know, Rich Dad Poor Dad, or any of Seth Godin's stuff, Poke the Box, or What to Do When It's Your Turn, or 
anything like that where you get a taste of yep. the Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DeMarco is one that really ruined me. But once you get a taste <laughs> for something, you know there's something more or you know that the best way to do it isn't just to do the bare minimum. The best way is to put your hand up, try a bit harder, try something different. I think once you get a taste for that, maybe the fear sets in that you know that you can't just do the bare minimum. You know that you have to do something more. And so I think I think there's not fear in that the opportunities won't be there. I think you need to realize that there's always going to be opportunities there uh, and the fear is not you're going to miss it, but the fear is that you're not going to be good enough perhaps to step up and, and take it. So I think the answer comes from always, whenever you see an opportunity, always have a crack and uh, the more you do it, the easier it becomes, I think. Mm, mm. So you talked about 50 and 70 years' time. What is it for you that you see your life being like in 50 years' time? I think for me... I. I don't think I'll run out of books doing one a week. What's the math on that? That's is that two and a half thousand books. Nice. That's a lot of books. Hopefully, <laughs> so I guess hopefully I don't run out of books, but definitely still reading. I think definitely still teaching. I'm sure it won't be a weekly podcast in 50 years' time. It might be something completely different from there. Uh, I don't know. What, what's VR doing? Maybe VR will come along and make some virtual reality courses. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, definitely still that learning curating and teaching I think is definitely still where I, I'd like to be in 50 years whatever form that comes in. Nice and if we were wanting to get in touch with you now rather than in 50 years time what's the best way to, to find you? Uh, a couple of ways I guess you can email me anytime uh, adam at adamashton.com.au uh, you can check out the podcast it's called what you will learn mm-hmm. and that's either at whatyouwillearn.com or if you listen to this podcast you can probably have a search for that and the book, mhsentrepreneurs.com as well. Gorgeous. So what could you leave with our listeners to help them design their best life? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and recycle some of the things I said in that start with learning, then step up to curating where you're taking what other people have taught and, and I guess finding what your favorite stuff is and rehashing that. And then moving to producing your own stuff is one thing. And I think the other thing is just constantly stepping up to the plate, having a swing. Don't worry if you get struck out, but eventually you'll, you'll hit that home run. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. I've really appreciated it and all the, the learnings that you're sharing with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It was good to, uh, good to talk it out. Hopefully uh, you can take something from that and keep stepping up to the plate and having a swing. Oh, I love it. Thanks for that, Adam. Thank you. Are you ready to create the life you want? Pop over to tinamurray.com to grab your free copy of the Design New Cheat Sheet and start creating the life you want right now. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Design New Podcast. You'll find the show notes over at tinamurray.com. Can't wait to see what you create as you design it, communicate it, and live it. 